For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at What is it about Washington State football games that forces officials to make brutal mistakes? Last year with USC, with the official that was unauthorized in the replay review room. This year, an illegal hands to the face that was miscalled that changed the outlook of the game. But we'll get to that conversation down the road. Welcome to Believe in the Pac-12, everybody. Along with Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkind. Recapping Week 11 in the Pac-12, but I actually want to start off with something a little bit different. I want to talk about the Minnesota Golden Gophers because, number one, I know Ryan has been very high on the Golden Gophers throughout the entire season. But number two, because their victory over Penn State, as we sit right now, was perhaps the most beneficial thing to happen to the Pac-12 in terms of college football playoff hopes the entire season. Yeah, I mean... It, it, it was a huge win for them. It was one that a lot of people didn't expect to happen. Um, you know, I think it demonstrated uh, their resolve and their belonging in the college football playoff conversation. Uh, they have one of the most brutal final four games. So in the next four weeks, they'll play at Iowa, home against Wisconsin, and then in a Big Ten uh, championship game against Ohio State. So uh, they're gonna they're gonna either let you know they're gonna be for real, uh, but it, it looks likely that they could be the Rose Bowl recipient, uh, which would be huge for, for Minnesota and P.J. Fleck if they got to play in a Rose Bowl, let's say, against a Utah. A Minnesota-Utah Rose Bowl for two teams that haven't – Utah's never been to a Rose Bowl. Minnesota hasn't been to a Rose Bowl since uh, God knows when. That, that for the Pac-12 and Big Ten, I think, would be huge. That would mean that an Oregon team would have to get in to the college football playoff as well as Ohio State um, to allow for both Minnesota and Ohio – Minnesota – and Utah to play in the Pac-12 or the Rose Bowl, which would, I think would be would be awesome. The last time the Golden Gophers found themselves in the Rose Bowl was 1962. They beat UCLA 21 to three. They also made it the year prior in 1961, losing to Washington 17 to seven. So they're one and one in Rose Bowl games against the Pac-12. And I think you're right. I think they'll match up against Utah. Would be a really fun matchup. Um, but yeah, I think the Minnesota loss or the Minnesota win, excuse me, beating Penn State opens the door up now to the conversation of okay. Now, I think that we have some perspective on these one-loss teams, Georgia, Oregon, Penn State. And I saw in your rankings, Ryan, that you have Oregon at four and you have Minnesota at five. What played into that decision to move Oregon all the way up to four after the bye week, after the Penn State loss? Well, I, I felt like that they, 
were the better team. Uh, some would argue that Minnesota's more deserving because uh, if you're going to move them ahead of one-loss teams, uh, then you have to probably um, – you know, if you're going to put a, a one-loss team ahead of Minnesota, then you're probably going to have to put both one-loss teams ahead of Minnesota in terms of, let's say, Oregon and Alabama. I put them in the middle. So it's just where I feel that conversation is. I don't think the Minnesota win over Penn State is going to play into – uh, the Pac-12 conference, uh, really at all in the decision-making. What I feel like did was the LSU win. I, if LSU were to have lost that football game, that may have thrown the Pac-12 out of the conversation altogether. Now, you know, I was adamant that Alabama, just because of the history, the committee, all the subjectivity of human beings, and, and the fact that they have a head-to-head with Auburn, if they were able to beat Auburn, that Oregon doesn't get in over them. I, I've changed that a little bit. I, I feel like Alabama only playing two ranked teams when it's all said and done um, isn't going to be good enough. But then when you look at everything, Oregon may have only played one ranked team right. when it's all said and done. So this is going to be really, really interesting. But I don't necessarily think that the Big Ten, because Ohio State's so far and away the team there, that a, a, a team that's second with one loss possibly sitting there is, is, is necessarily going to be a problem for the Pac-12. It's going to come down to – um, Oklahoma, Baylor, the Big 12 champion, what that looks like, and it's going to come down to whether the committee actually takes Alabama at 11-1, and a non-SEC champion, seriously when the committee makes their final decision on December 8th. And all of that will play into account depending on where Utah stands. If Utah does win their last three games and make it to the Pac-12 championship along with Oregon, wherever they're ranked – However, if Oregon wins that game, if, if Utah is a top eight team, a top seven team, and Oregon beats them, would that help play into the case for the Ducks should Alabama have that one loss to LSU even if they, and they lose in the championship or even win the championship? Yeah, and really what they do the next three weeks with, uh, with their final schedule here. How they, how they beat an uh, Arizona team at home this week. How they do on the road against an Arizona State team that's lost three in a row but has looked decent from time to time right they've beaten a Michigan State team they've they've beaten uh, um, a Cal team that was undefeated and ranked at the time see what that game looks like and then of course the Civil War which you kind of throw the records out no matter what and in, in that scenario let's see what they do are they gonna have to put some style points on right. Right? are they gonna have to beat they're favored by 26 over Arizona this week do they have to go out and beat them by 35 or 40 or something like that you know that's the type of thing the committee says they're not looking at point differential in, in terms of you know style points but of course they are. They're, they're looking at something. Like if Oregon were to beat Arizona State next week 56-10, to 10, that's that's huge. Right. That's huge for them in, in terms of what that looks like. So, you know, both Utah and Oregon have to be one loss when they play each other to give the, the conference their best chance to play in the college football playoff. If something, you know, unseemly happens where, let's say, UCLA upsets Utah this weekend – Utah win or and UCLA wins out and they play or Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Oregon will have zero ranked wins all right. year long. They probably don't get in, you know. They probably don't get in over an Alabama that's 11 and 1. So, we'll see how this all plays out. All I can say is that if Utah and Oregon continue to win, they're going to put themselves in the best possible opportunity to be in that conversation and that's all you can ask for is that you get that shot. But I will say if uh you know, an undefeated Oregon in conference, 12-1, and Pac-12 champions don't get in to the tournament, 
to play for the national championship, you got to implode the whole thing because that's that's just going to be simply not fair. We'll get more into that conversation in our next episode when we preview week 12. But how did we get to this conversation? Well, neither Oregon or Utah played this past week in week 11. There were four games on the Pac-12 slate, all of them with implications. Ironically, like you said, Ryan, UCLA still has a shot at winning the Pac-12 South. Now, a lot has to happen for them. They have to beat Utah. They have to beat USC. Not they have to. They they should beat USC if they beat Utah uh, to have to, to be able to have that shot to get in. But we'll get into that in our next episode. I want to talk about something that I alluded to earlier. Washington State Cal was the final game on the Pac-12 slate this past weekend. Cal won 33-20, but it wasn't without controversy. Last year, when Washington State played at USC on a Friday night, there was a targeting penalty that was ruled not targeting initially on the field, got sent back up to San Francisco to the Pac-12 headquarters, and there was an unauthorized official in the replay review room that told whoever was in charge of relaying the information back to the officials at USC that it should be reversed and it was a targeting call eliminating that player from Washington State for the rest of the game and changing what could have been the outlook for the rest of the game. Now this year, Washington State was on the back end of the the wrong end of a missed call. Late in the game, instead of an illegal hands-to-the-face called on Cal, it was called on Washington. We have since learned that the official has been suspended for a game. What is it about Washington State that elicits the Pac-12 refs who already have a poor reputation to just go the extra mile and screw them? <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's a Washington State thing. I think it's just a, uh, you know. Wrong a, place, wrong time. Yeah, it's just a, a coincidence that, that they're in that spot. I will say this is about the Pac-12 officiating crews, right? I mean, th- th- this this one in particular was as boneheaded as you can get, right? I mean, you you call it on the wrong team. Then it's instituted. And then they tell the coach after a play had, had been run that we made a mistake. That that's something that just can't happen. Now the the Pac-12 um, punished the crew, suspended the official. There were consequences to the actions, but I will say this: it, it's a black eye on the conference and the officiating and all of that. But it doesn't take away from the fact that Washington State uh, got their tails beat, uh, and that's the most important thing. I don't care if you give them those, you know, 57 yards. They absolutely got beat and beat bad by a Cal team that could not score a point. Clearly their remedy for that was to play against Washington State. Devon Monster actually looked like a quarterback. They scored points. Justin Wilcox proved once again that he is an, an elixir against an air raid offense. And he gets to have one again this week with USC coming to town. So, you know, it, it's been absolutely fascinating to see the the up and down Jekyll and Hyde uh, to Washington State. It's also been very tough to watch the Pac-12 stumble its way through their officiating woes and once again, you know, thrown fully on display this week. We've had a few broadcast where I call high school games on Friday nights and we have Pac-12 crews that actually come out and officiate the the big D1 and D2 games that we do uh, and they they basically do the same thing except there's no replay so we just get to sit there and laugh nonetheless Washington State drops it to Cal 33 to 20 before we get into the the schematics of this game really quickly are there makeup calls when ref misses a call like that was a holding I missed the holding and then they throw a flag on the next player two plays from them are those makeup calls yeah I mean, I don't know if they're makeup calls, but I mean, don't forget these are human beings, right? And they feel 
they feel guilt or shame over a missed call or, or a bad call. You know, who's to say they don't, you know, if there's a call right on the border, whether you could call the next thing holding or something like that, they they may throw that to feel like it even. Right. I mean, who knows how this, uh, the mindset of an official goes through. It's a very difficult job. There are split-second decisions being made with the most athletic and talented athletes there are on our planet. So, you know, I, 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 I tend not to uh, – be very judgmental of officiating. I was watching a throwback game of Oklahoma Nebraska back in the day, and uh, before TV was really prevalent, they had like one or two cameras, mm-hmm. and a, a play happened, and it it probably looked like it was a fumble. Um, you know, it looked like the the arm wasn't going for going forward, but they called it an incomplete pass, and uh, the and the guy had picked it up and returned it for a touchdown. And when they showed the replay, it was. It was a fumble, so it should have been a touchdown. But because back in the day there's no cameras, there's no review or anything like that, the game went on, right? There's human error in all of this stuff. That's why I think review has really made the officials' jobs almost unwinnable. Because it takes away the the expectation of human error within – these games and I'm okay with that I'm okay like last year the the bad call in the the Saints Rams game there there are so many other opportunities during the football game you're talking about the Jordan Cameron fumble return for a touch oh you're talking about the pass interference last year yes yeah because earlier this year Jordan Cameron had a fumble return for a touchdown against the Rams and they blew the whistle with the play dead prior to him scoring even though that should have been a live play that right there is a human error right you can't reverse that type of thing you can't also reverse uh uh play clock uh, scenario where uh, if the play clock runs to zero and the officials don't throw the flag, that's an unreviewable play. That, it's just This is just the way it works, and it worked for a long, long time, and there were national champions back then, and you know it's just made it almost, almost uh, unwinnable for the official and puts a ton of scrutiny on them, and I get it, but I'm okay with missed calls and I'm tired of hearing people complain about it. So are you going to be an advocate against the uh, the robo-umpires that they're trying to institute in Major League Baseball? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm for human error in officiating and everything like that. I, don't, I know technology has made things different. Now, if you want to throw a, a robo-ump back there for the strike zone, I, I might be okay with that consistency-wise. Um, you know, but the re- other reviewing on the football uh, on the field, uh, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily need to see. I don't need to see a uh, a review to see if the guy stepped on first base before the ball got right. there. I, I'm okay with the I'm okay with the umpire calling that. Just like I'm okay with an official. Um, now those types of mistakes, like it happened on Saturday, that that can't happen, right? You cost 57 yards, and guess what? There's there's been a punitive punishment. He's been there's consequences to those actions, just as you know, you're not making plays all game long. There's consequences to the action soon. That's a loss to Cal on the road. And Washington State is squarely looking at 4-8 and eight season in the face right now if they're not able to right this ship. State drops to 4-5, and 1-5 and five in the Pac-12. Cal, 5-4, and 2-4 and four in the Pac-12, one away from the elusive bowl game. Not something a lot of people thought after Monster came in, then got injured, and then came back. But they got the win. Uh, and a couple more games left. Looks like they may be bowl-bound. Let's talk about Friday's game, Washington-Oregon State. Oregon State played a defensive battle, not something you typically say from the Beavers. Now, what changed in this game 
was the 60-yard touchdown catch out of the backfield from Eason to Ahmed to basically solidify this win. Had that play not happened, Oregon State would have had a real shot at actually upsetting Washington at home on Friday night. But instead, that 60-yard touchdown run swept the momentum up for Washington, solidified the win, and that was that. But I have never seen an Oregon State defense play as hard as they did in, then in this game, at least this season, if not in prior seasons in recent memory. And what was surprising is the fact that the offense that's been so dynamic all season long didn't score a point. Their only touchdown was a pick six uh, return for a touchdown. And um, that was surprising to me because I really felt like the ability of their offense was going to be a problem for Washington because they had struggled late in football games to stop, um, you know, dynamic quarterbacks and dynamic receivers and Hodgins and Luton, and it just didn't materialize. I woke up the next morning and, you know, checked the app immediately and saw that they uh, had lost 19-7, to and I immediately thought, all right, they covered. Because <laughs> if that score feels like a tight football game, and it was. Right. But the line was 10 points, and – and Washington won by 12, so it just doesn't feel that way for whatever reason. Uh, and they, again, have yet to win a home football game, right? That has been the – they've won three games on the road and have yet to win a home football game. They get uh, another chance this weekend, but, uh, you know, they they need to win a home football game and give those fans in Corvallis something to cheer about uh, than just these road wins coming home late at night on that plane. Uh, when they've won them. Oregon State 4-5. and five. All four games that they've won have been on the road, as you just mentioned. It's pretty crazy. Now, actually, I take that back. They did beat Cal Poly at home, but I don't think that's a game that you really hold hang your coat no, tails I'm, on I'm as talking a fan. About a, I'm talking right. about a conference win, yeah. Right. They beat at UCLA at UCLA, which is a win that actually looks pretty good right now. They beat Cal at Cal and Arizona at Arizona. Their conference losses at home Stanford, at home Utah, at home Washington. So Oregon State, Jake Luton was held to 88 yards on 19 completions, only for a 3.1 yard per pass or per completion average. Whoa. That's brutal. 8.5 QBR. One of the lowest I've seen out of the Pac-12. Now they did hold Jacob Eason to a 33.6 QBR. No intercept, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and a five and a half yards per completion average. 175 yards on 16 attempts. So still not great. But Luton, not even close to Eason, and Eason didn't have nearly a good game. It all came on the coattails of Salvin Ahmed, 25 for 174, two touchdowns. They figured out the holes uh, in the front seven for Oregon State and ran all over the place. 48 total carries for Washington, 245 yards, good for 5.1 yards per carry. A nice number there, of course. Like I said, the big 60-yard uh, touchdown is what ended up solidifying it for Washington over Oregon State. Saturday morning, Colorado edged it out at home against Stanford 16-13. K.J. Costello got the nod as he is back in full, I think. I don't know. He didn't look like he was fully healthy, but he was good enough to play 245 yards and a touchdown. But Colorado able to edge it out and move up to 4-6. and six. Are you surprised by this result? I, I talked to Guy Haberman, who was on the call this week, my, my co-host on SiriusXM's Pac-12 this morning, and he was really uh, surprised to see Mel Tucker's effect on that football team, having lost all the games that they have, had only won three games to that point, uh, and, and the resolve in them. And so he was, he was uh, not surprised, and he let me know that Friday. So 
I, w- I went into the game looking at it a little differently, thinking, okay, you know, Colorado's ready to play, and sure enough, they were. Uh, they sent in a, a, a young kicker to win late in the football game. Montez looked better than, than Costello did in this football game. Um, you know, it's just so up and down. That, that cannibalistic nature we talked about all year long in this conference was uh, on, on full display this weekend because the best two teams in the conference were on buys. So, you know, Cal beating Washington State, Colorado beating Stanford, all of that stuff playing into it. It, it just was, you know – USC going and, and winning at Arizona State. Um, those types of things for me um, is what makes this conference so, you know, unknown. What's going to happen? We have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, you really can look at the top three teams in the conference, and you would probably say Oregon, Utah, and then probably UW, and then you have no idea what's, what's after that. You know, this week I'm, I, I threw in UCLA at number four. So, you know, that's that's essentially where they're at right now. And uh, – you know, for me, it was it, it, it's been surprising, um, not not terribly surprised that Colorado win, uh, won that football game, and and really really happy for Mel Tucker because um, it it looked like they may lose eight straight after that Arizona State win, like they lost seven straight a year ago. So good for them; uh, they'll get an opportunity to build off that, and and uh, and Mel Tucker, I think, is the right guy for the job there in Colorado, as a lot of people are seeing. Yeah, they're definitely building something uh, out in Boulder. Shout out Evan Price, the freshman kicker that you mentioned, 37-yard game-winning field goal. It was 3-for-3 three three in that game uh, to really solidify a big Colorado win at home against Stanford. Uh, and that's interesting because you said Montez looked better than K.J. Costello. Eat rushing attempt for 40 yards and the lone touchdown on offense for them. He really had to get it done himself, and he did. And that speaks to his improvement throughout the course of this season uh, and even towards the end of last season into this season. And by the way, you mentioned how UCLA is fourth. I think it's funny because something like nine weeks ago, it must have been week two or week three, I brought up UCLA and you said, you know what, we don't need to talk about UCLA until week eight. Well, here we are in week 11, and I know that it's more of a hyperbolistic, hyperbole, it's hyperbole, it doesn't, whatever the word is, uh, to say that UCLA is going to win the Pac-12 championship or has a shot, but it's funny to sit here and say, well, actually, there is a, a road for that to happen because five weeks ago, six weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, that was never even in the back of our minds. As soon as they lost to San Diego State, as soon as they lost to Cincinnati, it was this team is the worst team in the Pac-12, and here they are fourth in your Pac-12 power rankings. Yeah, it's it's surprising. Now now don't you know don't get too twisted here, right? Because their their wins were a 32 point comeback uh, against Washington State. Uh, their other win is against uh, an Arizona State team at home on a three game losing streak. Colorado and. Um, and Oregon then, State? Nope. Nope. Who's the last UCLA win? I want to say it was uh, um, Stanford. They beat, yes. up, they beat up on Stanford. Right. So, I mean, those those four wins aren't necessarily world beaters right now, okay? So, we'll see. They're going to play the best football team they've faced since Oklahoma this weekend. Um, and and then you can have the conversation. Or otherwise, they're, they're a 21-point underdog, though. I mean, they're twenty-one point dog on the road this week uh, against a Utah team. When I first saw that line, I was like, "Oh, grab the Bruins and, the, and twenty-one points." But then I think I'm like, "Like Utah's a, Utah's twenty-one points better than yeah. UCLA. They definitely are. It's going to be cold, I, you know." So I, I I can definitely see it now, and I'm glad I've taken a, a good hard look at it. But um, you know, they put themselves in a position where 
they can either be they can either lose the last three games against Utah, Cal, USC, and be four and eight, or they can find a way to upset a couple. I wouldn't say Cal's an upset, but I would probably say USC would be an upset this year, like they did a year ago, and be six and six. They're six and six. After a three-win season, they double their win total. They get to a bowl game. They get those extra practices. You know, there's going to be momentum there for Chip Kelly and improvement for this football team. Now, if they they don't beat their crosstown rival and they don't beat Utah and they end up five and seven, I think if you look back at it, you're going to go eight wins in two years with Chip Kelly, one of the biggest free agent signings at the coaching position. You're going to go not so much. Yeah, he chose UCLA over Florida. In hindsight, I don't, <laughs> I don't know right now. Well, we uh, he's sit. made a ton of money. Uh, if you if you said um, you can go live in Gainesville or you can live in Westwood, the Palisades, yeah, you know, for the re- retire essentially after this career, yeah, there might be a little different thought process. Yeah, there. I'd be okay yeah. living off the sunset out in the the Palisades Valley, Riviera Country Club. That's a nice place to retire too. Anyways, UCLA will play Utah. We'll talk about that game in our next podcast on Thursday. Let's move along here to the final game on the Pac-12 slate. USC at Arizona State. Keaton Slovis had four touchdowns in the opening quarter of that game. They scored three points the rest of the way and almost blew it in USC in classic USC fashion, at least as of recently in the last couple of years. Classic USC fashion. They go up 28-7 to after the first Arizona State scores six points in the second, seven in the third, and four in, or rather, six in the fourth. But they still drop at 31 to 26. The adjustment defensively made from Arizona State after that first quarter was immense. And that's what allowed them uh, to stifle USC and to really keep this game close thereafter. But when you go down 28 to 7 after the first quarter, that is a mountain to climb. And USD's defense isn't terrible. They're coming off a tough loss to Oregon last week, but Arizona State's offense also pretty good. It does seem like Jaden Daniels has started to regress back into looking like a true freshman over the last few weeks, but uh, he's picking up some of the loose ends here and and as the season progresses towards the end, I think the fundamentals that and the intangibles that he has will start to be seen. But USC once again edges it out. What you take away from this game? Well, my takeaway is that, you know, who the hell is USC, right? I mean, they they play that well in one quarter, and then, you know, for for a fan base, I think they're saying, please, just just lose these football games. We don't want the, you know, ambiguity of a Clay Helton staying or going. Now, I've been, you know, a guy that thought he's been a lame duck coach all year long. The addition of Mike Bond this week as the new athletic director, I think, continues to throw that into question. The biggest thing for me, and, and the one that's not necessarily always uh, in the headlines, is that they're 77th in, in recruiting right now, 11th in the Pac-12. And that can't be that – can't, that can't continue. So that alone, regardless of record, I think will be the reason why uh, he's no longer here because they need to recruit better, and they should never be 11th in the Pac-12 in recruiting if they're at USC. That's, that's un, un – um, feasible to happen a- a- anymore. So then you ask the question, okay, so who's the quarterback next year, right? Graham Harrell with a new head coach might be gone. Those are air raid quarterbacks. Let's say Urban Meyer somehow gets this job. None of those, none of those quarterbacks are Urban Meyer-type quarterbacks, right? So then you're talking about uh, Keaton Slovis, 
JT Daniels, Matt Fink, all three of them are are obsolete in what they want to do there. So then what? I mean, you have no idea how this is going to play out in terms of that. Um, they do it, have a five-star commit, by the way, and Jacob Garcia out of Narbonne, but I don't think he'll he's, – he's going to redshirt. He has to. Well, they've started freshman the last two years, so um, we'll see. You know, it's – for me, it's just going to be kind of just a uh, – Does somebody transfer? Yeah, of course. If, if, if Daniels comes back and wins the job in spring, does Slovis leave? Well, I mean, you watched it play. Who knows? I don't know the mindset of these young men, whether they have that in them or like, okay, I didn't win the job, I go somewhere else, you know, which seems like the trend. But then right. you have individuals who, who, have, who haven't done that either in a state. Matt Fink, one of them this year, stayed, got a opportunity, has their biggest win this year against the Utah team. So we'll see how it all plays out. But there's so many questions going on with USC that no one has any of the answers to until – a new coach is named, or Clay Hilton has said, you're going to get another opportunity here. It's funny you talk about recruiting. After LSU beat Alabama and they had the you know, the wide shot of Ed Ogeron getting the Gatorade port on him, all I could think about was how that was the biggest mistake for USC not to hire that guy as their head coach. After they, you know, He had the interim title after, after Lane Kiffin was fired. They just didn't – I don't know why they didn't hire him. Well, because it, it wasn't a flashy name for him, and it wasn't a fit. He was it, such a good recruiter, so, though. No, he's always been a great recruiter. That's Ugh. never been an issue with, with Ed Ogeron. And, and things work uh, the way they're supposed to work because he couldn't be a better representative uh, as the head coach for LSU, being occasion himself, just all of it. I mean, he's a perfect fit, and now that he's winning uh, in the style that he's winning where he finally got out and beat an Alabama team this weekend, it worked out exactly the way LSU wanted to work out. USC continues to show that they made mistake after mistake after mistake uh, after Pete Carroll left. So um, we'll see what that looks like. I will say this, Clay Helton has been a guy that has taken all that chaos and straightened it all out. Um, He's ultimately become the chaos on his own because they haven't been able to recruit enough or win enough uh, in the fashion that USC is accustomed to. But he has been a much more consistent and integral and – moral head coach than the two previous before him in Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, USC goes from Pete Carroll to Lane Kiffin, who's at FAU. There was a very brief rumor that he might take over Taggart's spot at at FSU. I don't think that's going to happen. He even said on Twitter that that's not going to happen. They actually have a four-star running back commit out at FAU that's pretty good. Then Steve Sarkeesian, as we know, that imploded uh, towards the end of his tenure at USC. And I think since then, I don't think he, he was at the Hawks. He was in Atlanta for, not the Hawks, the, uh, the Falcons. He was offensive coordinator for, what, a season or two? Now he's gone? He's the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Oh, he's at Bama. Yeah, you're right. All right, so at least he has something going for him. Um, and then, Clay. I mean, was Clay Helton a better brand than Ed Ogeron? Well, that wasn't the timing, right? Ed, right. Ed, Ogeron, Ed Ogeron takes over for Lane Kiffin. Right, and then Sark came after. But and then they went and found Steve Sarkeesian. They went and stole Steve Sarkeesian from, from Washington because they wanted the continuation of, and they wanted a name. Right. For them, it's a name, and Ed Ogeron wasn't a name. No one knew who Ed Ogeron was. They knew, I mean, everybody in the coaching world knows who he's he is. He's a line coach, yeah. Because he's an unbelievable recruiter. Right. And they want him on his staff. So I don't know what it is. Everybody's clamoring for Urban Meyer. You know I am firmly and have been against that forever. I, I I don't think he's ever stood up and taken any personal accountability for what went on, not only in Florida, but in particular at the end and how he handled the situation with Zach Smith, uh, Big Ten Media Day, in the entire year. 
I think you'd be making a mistake to bring in that kind of turmoil, controversy, all of those things um, uh, to USC in a place where all of that already exists. So the question is, are you willing to you know, put your, your morality and your integrity and all that stuff on the back burner to win? Because we all know one thing. He can recruit. He can win championships because he's done it at two other places. He would probably bring USC football back to supremacy as, as quick as anybody else could. But is it worth taking the shots that probably will come with his approach to win? That's the biggest question that, that Mike Bond and the alumni and the fan base are going to have to answer. So if USC needs a brand, who do – I mean – what, how do you foresee this coming, right? Are we going to see an NFL coach who comes back down to the college ranks? Are we going to see a group of five, maybe Boise State, somebody like that come to USC? What's your perception of how this program should hire its next Well, you coach? watched how the coaching search went for UCLA during basketball, and they ended up getting their fifth or sixth guy. The athletic director search, USC got their fifth or sixth guy, right? I mean, so... Ironically, that, both from the same school. I know, and which means... Is Luke Fickle the next guy to, to, to head that way? You know, <laughs> he he's got ties. Uh, he's got Urban Meyer ties, which may be good enough for maybe that Urban Meyer base in at SC who are trying to get that done. We'll we'll see. I, I don't necessarily think they need to make a big splash. I don't think it needs to be a big splash. It has to be the right guy. And I really go for this: they have to go find a guy who can recruit. Period. You got to go get a guy that can get the five-star guys from Clemson, from Alabama going back to USC. And I don't mean skill position guys. They still can get the wide receivers. They still can get the running backs. They need to be able to get the trenches guys, the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen. That's where they've lost touch with reality when it turn, when it comes to the Pac-12 conference. They can't compete in the trenches, and that's the difference. Especially when you run the air raid, you need as much protection as possible. And with that offensive line, it makes it that much harder. So USC... We'll see how the how the, the road goes for them the rest of the season. We'll talk about their next game on Thursday's podcast. But in the past week on week 11, they beat, or in week 11, they beat Arizona State 31-26. to 26. Like I said, slow as four touchdown passes all in the first quarter. It was almost the reverse of what happened at Notre Dame when they put up a goose egg in the first half and then came barreling back and almost won. They lost 30-27 to 27 in the second half of that game. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. We'll be back on Thursday to preview week a uh, week 12. We'll also talk about the outlook of the conference over the last three weeks of the season, what teams need to do, maybe how UCLA truly could end up as a South uh, representative in the Pac-12 championship. A lot of good games on week 12. Hope you stick with us on Thursday. But until then, for Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin. Please rate, review, and subscribe. From everybody at the Believe Podcasting Network, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on Thursday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 